There we go. Good morning. Welcome to Bethel. I was a little early. I'm sorry. You guys can have a seat. Uh, it's so good to have you guys this, here this morning. Happy Grandparents Day. Um, I hope you guys had a great weekend last weekend. I was actually able to take my kids to Missouri during our family escape time and got to take them to uh, my grandparents' farm where I grew up. So many summers and so many memories. And so it's kind of fun to always show your kids uh, some of your heritage, right? And so I got a good reminder of my grandparents last weekend and just uh, the impact they had on my life. And so I just want to say happy Grandparents Day to you. And man, you're important. You're important, such an important role in the lives of the grandchildren that God has given you. And I just remember that my grandma always had like mints or certs in her pocketbook. Do you guys still have pocketbooks today? So that's what her, her purse was, her pocketbook, right? And I thought, you know what? We just need to make sure that all our grandparents have mints today in your pockets or your purse before you leave. So I want the grandparents to stand. All the grandparents, stand. Some of you are so young. How is it possible? And then Christian and Alyssa are going to come give you guys mints from us to keep in your pocket, your purse, you know, maybe it's because she couldn't chew gum because of her dentures. I don't know, but she always had mints. I don't know. So thank you guys. When you get your mints, you can have a seat. Happy Grandparents Day. We truly value you and appreciate you. Um, if you're visiting with us today, whether it's online or in person, we're so glad that you're here, and we would love to connect with you. Um, the best way to do that is to go to mybethel.cc connect. And then right there, there's a form to fill out. And we would just love to reach out to you this week and see how we can serve you or help you or answer any questions. Um, if you guys were not here a couple, we missed you last week, right? We were, none of us were here. It feels like we haven't seen each other in forever. But we are right in the middle of a series in First Peter. And uh, I guess Rages was glutton for punishment, right? When he's like, let's study First Peter. So a couple of weeks ago, we got into politics and slavery. And, it, you know, what could be worse than that today? We get to talk about submission. Boo, right? And, and so today we're going to delve into First Peter and looking at submission. And I, I can't remember the name of our series. War. What? Wage war. Yes, I'm like, it's something to do with war. It's been two weeks. I didn't know. So wage war, First Peter, submission. Let's go. Morning, Bethel. How's everybody? Feels like we haven't seen each other in forever. It's just been a couple weeks. Um, but I want to jump in. I want to pray first, and then I've got a couple of events to tell you about that are coming up, and then we'll jump into submission and other cuss words. That's the name of the title. That's the title of the message today. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into the rest of this morning. God, we are grateful for you. We're grateful for your word. Um, God, that you don't 
Actually, in your word, don't shy away from any topic, but uh, we see your principles uh, throughout Scripture from the very beginning to the end, and how if we would look at the bigger picture, look at what you're trying to lead us towards, which is the, the battle against the good and evil, that kind of battle of the ages. Uh, God, in thinking about this war that's internal, uh, we'd like to point the fingers out outside and point our fingers at, at the way people are acting, but really what we need to do is do the do work and do battle on the inside. So God, this morning as we look at First Peter chapter 3, uh, that you'd quiet our hearts, that you'd focus our minds, and that we'd see what you have for us this morning as we wage war and that battle that's within us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wage war. So we are in week four of wage war, and, and today we're going to talk about submission. Like if you read ahead, this, this book of First Peter is a book that if you don't watch it, you'll end up cherry-picking a few things out of, the, out of the passage instead of seeing what Peter is trying to write. And he's writing us a story, or he's writing a letter to a group of churches that are in Asia Minor. And this letter is to call them to holy living, to holiness. We talked about this the very first week of wage war. And holiness simply is set aside or set apart or to be different. It's not perfect. It's not floating around with a halo on your head and judging people that aren't or, or a level of superiority uh, spiritually. It's not that. It's, it's actually understanding that God has taken you and he's made you something different and he's working in you. Now, all of us have a tendency to rebel against any kind of authority. That is the, the human nature from the time we're little to the time we grow up is this rebellion against human authority. And we actually hope to get to a place where no one is bossing us around, like we're going to be our own, uh, our own boss, our own business, we'll start our own business at home, or we're going to start our own business that's going to grow into something that we're going to manage, or I'm going to become the manager or the vice president, or I'm going to become the domineering person in my home, and I'm going to tell everybody what to do, and I'm going to have a bunch of kids so they can fall in line, and, tell, and I'll tell them what to do, and then you have a bunch of kids and you can't fall. They don't fall in line. Um, ask Pastor Ruben. It's a tough job, right? He's got like 10 kids. It's amazing work. So, no, he has four kids. All, all great kids, but it's a struggle. You know, I have two kids, and it's hard. We don't actually fall in line. Our human nature is to rebel. That's what it is. So Peter is actually talking to a group of believers that left the Jerusalem Middle East area and were scattered up Asia Minor, and there was churches. And the reason he was writing them is they were still under Roman rule, and the tendency was to buck Roman system. And Peter was saying, God is calling you to something within an oppressive system. And he wants you to know him. It doesn't matter if you're free or a slave or you're in a, uh, a government that's controlling or one that's free. It doesn't matter because what God is doing is far greater than the political reality of your day. And so as you're reading through First Peter, he hits on all the trigger points. He hits on all the difficult topics. And chapter 3 is no different. He's, he, if, if you think two weeks ago was difficult, which maybe it wasn't, it's an identity crisis where we actually find our personal values based on our tribes and based on our group of people or our political direction or possibly sports or education. Like we lean depending on politics, but depending on our tribe. There's a lot of tribalism nowadays. And our foundation, if, we, if we're not careful, our foundation is on something far less valuable than being in Jesus and in Christ. And so Paul, Peter is actually writing this letter, this letter and when you get to chapter 3, he touches other difficult topics, which is like marriage and submission and other difficulties like fidelity and equality and sympathy and love and unity. It's like all this stuff that 2,000 years ago, it seems like he wrote it for us today. It's the same situation because our, our human nature, our human character hasn't changed that much. 
It's 2,000 years separate, and yet we're still at a crossroads culturally. And I think today we're in a cultural crossroads. Will we follow the biblical pattern or will we do our own thing? We live in a society that is divided based on sex, based on religion, based on gender, based on ethnicity, based on education, based on class, and it's all separated, and the whole point is to separate people instead of coming together to do something great for God. So for 100 years, women have actually fought to gain their rights as citizens. Slowly and surely, women have gained independence, the right to vote, the right to fight, the right to, for equal pay, and many other practical rights afforded to them actually in the biblical narrative. This message is not about women's rights, okay? It's not about male dominance. It's not about affirming or denying gender roles. It's not about that. Many will, stay, will say that the woman needs to be a homemaker, mom, stay-at-home, caregiver, softer, gentler, fragile beings, and they haven't met a lot of women then if that's what they think, okay? Silence in the room. <laughs> they also say that men need to dominate or fight or go to war, win battles, and empower others. This message is not to affirm or deny that. This message actually is looking at the greater picture of the divine battle for the souls of men and women, and that's what Peter is trying to express in this letter to the church's in Asia Minor. So we're going to read the passage directly. There'll be some commentary. And what I want you to recognize and I want you to notice as we're reading through this is what in your heart and what in your soul kind of rises to the top as we're talking about these topics. Like what are the subjects that your heart responds to in a negative or a positive way? If it's a negative or if even a positive way, it's probably something that God is working on or wants to work on in your life. Now we all understand the distinction between male and female anatomy, the genders, the distinction. We understand this just on a scientific basis. We understand that men and women think differently, act differently, interact differently than each other. While we can draw these separations from men and women, we see that from the beginning it was God's plan to create male and female to be co-workers that will populate and subdue the world together. It's togetherness. It's oneness. And so we've seen God's plan in the Garden of Eden disrupted. And it was disrupted because of man's fall. This, is, this most glaringly shows its ways in the way we treat each other as lesser than or beneath us. It crosses gender lines and ethnic boundaries. Men are typically stronger and dominant, but that does not mean that they're not dominant and strong women. They are perceived weak participants on both, there are perceived weak participants on both sides of the gender line. But what we see in Scripture from the very beginning is that God created men and women to cooperate equally in the redemption of mankind. That's what it says in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and then into 3. So I want to start reading the end of chapter 2 of 1 Peter. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. There's also a live event that you can follow along. And we're going to read the last part of chapter 2 because the more I've meditated on this the last couple of weeks, the end of chapter 2 is so powerful, and it's kind of the climax of Peter's letter. It's right in the middle, and it's a climax to the direction before and after his letter, which is to be like Jesus, to follow in his steps. So let's read chapter 2, and let's start in verse 21. It'll be here on the screens, and you can follow along in your, in your, your Bible app. It says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. Let me ask you something before we finish the rest of the passage. What was it that was attractive about Jesus when you were making decisions or possibly still making decisions right now about whether to follow him or give your life to him? Like, what was it about Jesus 
that made you say, I want to follow that man. I want to follow that guy. You've got to think about this because everyone has a different conclusion. And most of us don't think about following Jesus as this suffering thing. We think about, well, if I give my life to Jesus, my life's going to be 100% better and I'll be fine. And then our experience is different as we walk through life. It's really hard. Actually, knowing Jesus and following Jesus becomes more difficult because then I have this like conscious thing that kind of wants me to do something for others that I would naturally not do. And then we say, why do I, why do I have an aversion to helping people or being less than or, or submitting myself to someone else? What, what is my aversion to it? It's because our humanity is in constant, constant conflict with our spirituality, with giving our lives to Jesus. So let's look at his example. So you must follow in his steps. Verse 22, it says, he never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. Now, that's not our story. This is not describing us. We are very deceptive, and we've actually sinned. That's the, what Scripture tells us and actually what our experience is. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Verse 23, he did not retaliate when he was insulted. Man, okay, that's not me. Okay, that's him. Um, just get on social media just for two minutes, and you'll see this retaliation thing that happens that is just a common thing every day, all right? It says, nor threaten revenge when he suffered, he left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. And that is a hard thing to think about, and humanly speaking, we want to pick up our case, we want to defend our rights, we want to stand up when we feel threatened, and yet Jesus didn't. And this is a reason to follow him. And then he says, he personally carried our sins in his own body on the cross, so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Isn't it interesting that he carried our sin on his, his, his body personally? And it says so that we can be dead to sin, and yet sin is the very thing that always gets us. It seems to be this living thing in our hearts. And so Jesus carried all those sins so we can get rid of them and actually live a life without sin, seemingly here. It says, once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. So this whole section can be summarized with three words, I must die. Now, when we think about this, it's not about I need to go kill myself or I need to go take my own life. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is as you read this narrative, it says if I must follow in his steps, there's something that has to happen in me and my will and my character is that it's not all about me. Now, that is so counterhuman. It's counterproductive. It's something different. It's something otherworldly that it is about me. And we're, we're taught from when we're little kids that it's all about me. I'm hungry. I'm going to cry. I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm going to go to mom and dad for help, or I'm going to go to the authorities. And so it's like Jesus actually says that as a follower of his, we must die. He's talking about submission to the will of God. So he's touched on submission in God's plan, holiness. He's talked about a spiritual temple, spiritual milk, the word of God. He's talked about government. Talk about slavery, talk about masters. All of these things are calling us to submit to in order for us to rebel against the very thing that gets us, which is sin. So sin is the thing that wants to control us, and our our holy rebellion is against sin, not against the things around us externally. So he continues these thoughts about submission. This is a continued thought, okay? So don't separate. A lot of people in church, especially, want to separate the next few verses from the idea of what he's talking about from the beginning. Verse 1, in the same way, of chapter 3, in the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands, 
Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Now we're going to talk about women for a few minutes, okay? And so speaking as a man, like from a man's point of view, women, just take this with a grain of salt. I was going to have Christy speak. I should have. Because she could have talked about this subject better than I can from your perspective. And most of us guys are like, see, woman, submit. Woman, it says it in Scripture, submit. Now, if you've said that, ooh, how'd that go for you? It doesn't go well for me. I, I have this thing that I say to Christy. I say, woman, she hates that. But I do it out of love in my heart. Woman? <laughs> And yet, Peter seems to say that women, wives, submit to your husband, the authority of your husband. Now, I want to show you different translations, because here's where it's interesting when we're talking about a language that you and I don't use, the Greek language. And there's different translations, and I don't have time to show you every single translation, or to go through word by word in the Greek, but I wanted to show you some so you can kind of see the, the perspective. This next slide kind of has a couple of them. NLT says, accept the authority of your husbands. We just read that. Uh, the next one, the KJV, the King James Version, says, be in subjection to your own husband. Okay. The ESV, English Standard Version, says, be subject to your own husbands. Very similar to KJV. Uh, New, New King James says, be submissive to your own husbands, exactly like the other one. And then NIV says, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Kind of a general theme, a, a similar theme. The message, which some people don't say is a translation, but it says, be good wives to your husbands, responsive to their needs. Okay. Now, I want to ask you a question, and I want you just to think about it, because he's drawing a, 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 a all of our relationships that he wants, that we need to fix and not want to submit to, he starts with wives, and he starts here, and I think a lot of it has to do with this trigger point, even in the society 2,000 years ago, which the natural rebellion was, the natural tendency was to rebel against all authority. In this culture, men were the figurehead. They were the top dogs. They were like the masters, and unfortunately, we'll talk about men here in a second, but men did not use their authority with any love or respect for women at all. And so for Peter to say this to them is just like chapter 2 where it says, hey, submit to the government and you slaves submit to your master. What a, what a difficult thing for us to wrap our minds around. Now, if you go back to chapter 3 of Genesis, Adam and Eve's first thing. What was the, the storyline there, which was Eve went out, did this. She took in Adam and he got him to eat the fruit too. They both rebelled and then they both pointed fingers at each other and blamed each other and ultimately blamed God for their situation. If you think about this in the context of the first century, we'll think about um, a culture where women did not have any rights, which was wrong. In the scriptural sense of the matter, it was wrong. And yet Peter is calling women to submit or to honor or to adhere to their husbands, their, their husbands, their own husbands, not other men, but their husband. And why? Why is he asking them to do that? It's like, seems like he brings up some subject that it affects us in our hearts. We get irritated um, and it kind of like threatens us in our identity. Um, Christy and I had a coaching session last week, and, and we were together, and we had a coach, and he was talking to us, and they touched something that I did not want to talk about at all. And so the coach and Christy ganged up on me, and what was my response? Cross my arms, 
sit back, cross my legs, put a bad look on my face. I just got mad. And they both said, oh, you see what he's doing? We're touching on something he doesn't want to talk about. Isn't that what we do? And when God touches something in our lives, we end up getting real upset about it because we think we want to do what we want to do. And here's, here's, my, here's my thoughts on this passage. Women found freedom in Christ in the first century, just as today. They obviously considered life in Christ as a way to buck a cultural acceptance of the day and walk away from their husbands. Just walk away. I'm going to walk away from this jerk because I'm free in Christ. And what Peter was saying is something far greater. It was a bigger mission. And the mission was a relationship with God. And so look what he says in that next part. He says, he said, if they refuse to obey the good news, which is the gospel, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. So it seems like he's thinking about something far greater than simple submission to man. He's actually talking about our call to lead all people into a relationship with Jesus. Now, I, I want to pause really just for a minute because a lot of people have used this particular passage as an excuse to abuse and, a, and a, an excuse to dominate. And that is a terrible way to interpret and translate Scripture. There's been a lot of abuse in churches and in families because of this particular passage. And, and if you're in an abusive relationship, if you're in a, in a relationship where you have no freedom whatsoever as a woman, that is not what God's asking you to submit to. It's just like what we talked about last week with the sex, uh, sex trafficking that's in our country. That is not something that is godly. And I think, unfortunately, these passages have been used as a weapon against women and then telling them, you need to just submit, and then you need to forgive, and you need to go back to your abuser. And that is not what Peter is actually asking the wife to do. He is simply saying, it's the good news that we're trying to point our families to. It's the good news we're trying to point our wives to. It's the good news we're trying to point our children to. And part of the way that we can point it to them is, hey, guess what? For a season, I'm just not going to have any rights. I'm going to let them do what they do because I want them to see in my life something that's different. And I think he clearly understood the challenges of, of some women, not necessarily all of them, and some women don't necessarily have a challenge with a brutal husband. Verse 3, it's interesting. He says, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. Oh, crap. All right. You should clothe. Christy, you really should have taught this part. It shouldn't be me. All right. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husband might do. Hmm. So to me, he seems like he's talking about external things again that we want to point to as far as the acceptable behavior that's external, okay? It's easier to control and fix things that are on the outside, and think about the very things that got you your man are probably not the things that are going to keep him or change him at all. And what he's saying is, like, you're focusing all on this external, and it's actually something that's inside that makes all the difference. Now, we could go on forever talking about um, Sarah and the way she said, Master, this was a strong woman. She was, a, she was 100, almost 100 years old and had a baby. I mean, this is not just any old woman, okay? This is someone that actually was a pretty strong, domineering woman. And you can see that she told Abraham, get rid of that, that, uh, get rid of that woman and get rid of Ishmael, and he did it. So it wasn't like this just cowardly 
simple lady, she just understood to win him over was through a different way. And it says right here, I read this and I thought this was really good. There may be some of us who are tempted to read the first six verses of 1 Peter through the idealized, romanticized, domesticated lenses of some current Christian traditions, wherein the woman is called to be someone not unlike the Stepford wife. I do not believe that this is the call for Christian women today, nor do I believe that Peter's asking this of the newly converted Christian women in Asia Minor. These women were independent moral agents who had responded to God's offer of salvation. Some of them had unbelieving husbands, and Peter's calling them to live such lives with their husbands that their husbands may be won over by their actions, the life of God in them. And today there's not any difference. If you have a spouse that is not a believer, yelling at them and screaming at them and trying to get them to come to church and forcing them to come to church is not the way to do it. You know the way to do it? It's through gentleness and kindness and self-control. This is not just a woman thing. This is also a guy thing. This is for both sides. This uh, gentle and quiet spirit cracks me up because it says right there, um, have a, uh, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. This has nothing to do with personality or characteristics, so I, don't think it, I think it has more to do with the busyness of life and the chaos that many of us go through on a daily basis. And really at the end of the topic is Peter's pointing to our confidence in God, not in the confidence of our current situation. He's asking us to look at our, our situation and realize that God is doing something in and through us because he is ultimately in control. So we can do the, the same thing, and we can do what's right without fear of what man might do. So just in case men think that we have less instructions than women, Peter starts by saying, in the same way, in the next section. So it's like all that that he said about women, plus there's some extra stuff that a guy needs to carry. It says, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wives or your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. I want to show you the different passages um, that are translated um, in the different, different uh, sets. So we have the NLT, all of them here. Give honor, giving honor, showing honor, giving honor, treat them with respect. And then there's the next part, which is um, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. Dwell with them according to knowledge. Um, live with your wives in an understanding way. Dwell with them in an understanding way. Be considerate as you live with your wives. And then the message says, be good husbands to your wives. Honor them. Delight in them. Um, the, the key here, I think, is as we are with them. As we're with them. Peter hits on the equality between men and women. And it was a good idea. It was God's idea, sorry, from the beginning for equality. Men can be brutes and misunderstanding to the needs of their wives. We can be hurtful, short, overlooking to the value that God has placed on them. And it hits man where it hurts. It's really easier for us to run away, go to the garage, work on, um, work on something in the garage than actually work on our marriage with our spouse. That's our tendency. And he says, as you live together. So you can't do this if you're separated. Men and women are not lesser than. You have no right over women as a man. You're called to unity with the wife God gives you. And I think it's really kind of a distraction here at the end that God, through Peter, says this one last thing about men. He says, here's a little extra. If you ever feel like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling, you need to check your relationship with your wife. How are you treating her? How are you respecting her? And this is not just as a woman, but as a fellow human. How are you treating her? And that's going to make a difference.
All right, deep breath. Here's women and men. Now let's go to the next thing. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Evil. Don't re- retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. So real quick, I want to run through these words that he uses right here uh, real quick for us to get some application out of it. One mind. This is the only time in Scripture that this phrase is used. It's an agreement it's being in concordance with someone, and it's harmonious. And so being of one mind is having harmony. It's the only time that we see it in Scripture. Sympathize. This is compassion, commiseration. This is like crying with those who cry, laughing with those who laugh. This is the sympathy of actually feeling the emotions of the people that are brothers and sisters in Christ. Love. This is brotherly affection. This is the phileo love. This is the um, sometimes siblings rub each other the wrong way kind of love, but we still get along and we still love them. Then you have tender-hearted. Interesting, this word in the original language actually means having strong bowels. Okay. It actually really means letting what others in your family makes them sick make you sick. What makes them happy make you happy. It's a tender-hearted. It's tenderness towards people in our family of believers. Humble. You don't know what you don't know, so we need to be kind and yielding. We need to realize that what others, going, what others are going through is real. And then it says right there at the end, no paybacks. Don't pay back evil for evil, even if I want to. My friend Ross Hill says this all the time. He actually has a plaque in his office that says, God's blessing lives in the land of obedience. It says right there at the end, that is what God's called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. So um, his blessing lives in the land of obedience, of obedience. Verse 10. For scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil, your lips from telling lies, turn away from evil and do good, search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. This is a direct quote from Psalm 34, and this is the one another's of mutual submission. And it's amazing to see from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 3, how there's this work of internal struggle that the situation in which I find myself in sometimes is God's way of seeing if I'm willing to trust him, if I'm willing to submit to him. Am I willing to actually keep my mouth shut, to make peace, to open my mouth, to do something? It is all this internal struggle, and it seems like we have a lot of work to do. It seems like when things rise in my heart, I have a lot of work to do. Peter has just walked us through what it means to battle with submission And our rebellious nature is to be averted to others telling us what to do. It may be just that God is testing our submission to him by the way that we yield to others. And so it's wives with husbands, husbands with wives, and then believers with each other. Here's one of my biggest takeaways from this passage. Is we are all tempted to build a persona and a resume of who we are. I am this, and I've accomplished this, and I've done this, and that's why I'm this kind of person. And we think we can do battle on our own. We think we can graduate to a level we are self-sufficient. And actually, Scripture talks about something different. It says that we're never meant to walk alone. We're never meant to go it alone. We're never meant to go on the journey alone. We need one another and the work of God in us. And if we're not careful... 
we'll isolate ourselves from everyone around us just because we don't want to listen. There's got to be people in your life that you can ask some difficult questions to. There's got to be some people in your life that you can say, hey, is this the right decision? And walk with people and let them walk with you. Because when we're together and we understand each other and we're honoring one another, which goes back to chapter one, when we honor one another, we're going to really figure out what God is doing in our lives as a community. And the Christian life, the life of a believer, was never meant to be alone. Let's uh, pray. God, we are grateful for who you are. And even in the difficult seasons of life where it seems like there's no way out, God, you've asked us to trust you and you've asked us to submit to you just as Jesus did. That's so hard, God, for us to do. And actually, this idea of mutual submission is extremely difficult. God, there's many marriages in our, in our church and in our community that are just falling apart because of hatred and abuse and, and just the way we treat one another. God, my prayer right now is that you would heal relationships, that you would give us a biblical understanding of what it's like to dwell together. God, we're all different, and you've drawn some of us to each other, and you've drawn couples together, and, and God, you've given us families, you've given us children and grandchildren, and, and then you've called us to, be a, a, to a difficult task of trying to make the right decisions. God, no matter what the situation is, I, I pray that you would work. Those that have had to get away from abuse, God, I pray that you'd give them a renewed spirit of self-worth and dignity. God, those that are struggling in their marriages right now, that they've come to a mutual understanding of what's best for their marriage. And God, one another, as we find people to walk with and find people to trust and find people to let in to our mess. God, what you're trying to do on a bigger picture is prepare us for a better relationship with you. Jesus, we love you. We are grateful for who you say we are. We're grateful for your identity on us, even though we've tried to create our own and go our own way. Jesus, you've given us all sorts of abilities and talents and treasure, and our prayer is that we would use these in a way that would honor you and it would lead others into a deeper connection with you. Jesus, we love you. We are grateful for you. Before we wrap up this morning, we don't do this a whole lot at Bethel, but maybe there's some uh, conflict in your soul this morning, some conflict in your marriage, some conflict in your relationships, and you say, Pastor Ray, there's some, some things that uh, God is working on in my own heart uh, with my relationships, whether it's a spouse or my children or my neighbors or my coworkers, and there's something that needs to be worked on, and maybe it starts with me. Would you pray for me, Pastor Ray, as I work through this this week and I seek God's will and his direction? I see your hand. God bless you. Anybody else say, Pastor Ray, pray for me. Here's my hand. There's some things that God's working in my soul and my heart, and uh, there's just some stuff I've got to work on in my relationships. Anybody else say, Pastor Ray, pray for me. Maybe this morning the biggest relationship that is struggling is your relationship with God. And God is trying to draw you in, and your spirit is running away from him. So maybe this morning, as we're talking about relationships, the relationship that needs to be restored the most is the one with God. And you say, Pastor Ray, pray for me. I, I need a relationship with God. I don't have one. I see your hand over there. God bless you. I, I need a better relationship with God. I need to improve my relationship with God. There's something missing in my relationship with God. And this morning, I need to take some steps towards that. Is there anybody like that this morning? Anybody else? 
God, you know exactly what you're doing as we step into worship. I pray that you would bless. God, those that are struggling, even myself included, God, with our relationships, the way we respond, the way we talk, the way we don't respect and love those that are closest to us, the way we, we tend to mistreat those more than we do other people, God, I pray that you would work in our hearts for us to do battle in order to make the right decisions and make peace. God, we're grateful for Jesus that he came through eternity and met us right where we are and restored us. God, I pray for those that would say, I need my relationship with God to improve. I pray that your spirit would step in, that your spirit would draw close, and that, God, we would see transformation in our hearts. We love you. We are grateful for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. It's an amazing thing that in all of our flaws, God, the creator of the universe, actually wants a relationship with us. And it does not make a lot of sense, um, but Scripture says that he is mine, that I'm his, and that he wants to choose, he, he chooses me, and he wants to free me in order to make the right choices. And he wants to free me in order to choose to yield to him. Let's sing together who you say I am. You guys can be seated. Um, Christ be magnified in me kind of sums up the sermon today, right? It's, it's if we're in obedience to him and he's being magnified through us, then it's easy to submit, right? Yeah. If, if I think the goal after listening to it is I need to be in such obedience that I'm easy to submit to, like in a marriage or a friendship or whatever it is. Because if we're following Christ and we're having that gentle and kind and loving spirit, People, it's, it's easier to submit to someone like that. Mm. And so if that's all of our goal, then the whole submission thing would just be easy. <laughs> it, the, it's funny when you read that part about, you know, the clothes and the hair and all as women. And it's, it's true that women and men alike, um, how much time do we spend, you know, in front of the mirror and, and, and picking out your clothes and making sure you look just perfect? And I remember in college, a professor said one time, and I don't want to get legalistic about it, but they <laughs> said, how much time do you spend, like, what's your routine in the morning, like, looking good on the outside, you know? Mm. And how much, do, how does that compare to how much you time, spend, like, in God's word, making your insides look good, <laughs> you know? And honestly, it's like, again, without being legalistic, it's a good comparison to be like, well, wow, you know, I spent this much time on that and then the important thing gosh I was really rushed because I didn't have time because I was spending so much time on my hair you know yeah. and so it's a good kind of comparison to be like well where are you spending your time and we've all met a beautiful person who's just like got it together looks good man or woman either one and then they open their mouth and you're like ooh, they're ugly right you know it's <laughs> like ooh, yikes yeah. and and so that that principle right there is we've got to work on the inside on what's true and if we do and we have that gentle and loving spirit because of the time we've spent with God then he will shine and be magnified through us and then we can submit and be submit I don't know yeah. right well it's like there's a there's a difficult thing with this particular topic and this particular passage is that it has been you. It has been actually take, right. taken out of right. context and then used to perpetuate abuse for generations. Which is super frustrating. And it's really frustrating. Right. But we can't blame scripture for the abuse. It's got to be blamed right. on men, women, for actually using that as an abusive thing. And so I know that in our, in our in our congregation, there's been people that have gone through some terrible things. I would never pretend to to even put myself in your shoes or no. Um, but we do want to walk with you. And I think there's 
we see it in the garden. There's this like perfect plan of God, and then mankind broke it up, right. broke it. And so then there's this trying to get back to that perfection, and we're not going to get there, this side of heaven. But I do know together, like I married a very strong woman, very strong woman, and it's like all I had to do was say woman, and that was it. I'd lost. You know, it was like that. Yep. And so it's like, but we have learned together to, okay, I'm going to yield to you at this time. You're going to yield to me at this time. And together, God has done something in our, in our marriage, in our life that is, we're still working on it 24 years later, still working on it. But it's part of what we've learned about one another is that the closer we get to a relationship with God, the closer we follow and obey him, the easier it is for us to say, you know, you're right in this one. Right. So I'm going to, I'm going to follow your lead this time. Right. So, and, and, and like you said, this thing is the same with the whole body of Christ. Right. I mean, the closer we are and more obedient we are to him, the easier it is to just work together. Right. And so you've got to be careful who you are, you know, hitching yourself to, to submit to, because that could be a double-edged sword. So, like, one of the things we want to do here at Bethel is connect you with our, like, engaged groups. But there are some people that are not quite there yet. And so you've got to be careful to be like, I'm going to just dump all my stuff on you, and then I'm going to submit to you. That's probably not smart in every situation. But we all need someone. We need someone they can walk with us, someone that can know who we are, someone that can call us out when we have black beans in our teeth and, you know what I'm saying, that's feel comfortable to do that or have our zipper down. I mean, that's something that we need someone in our life that will be comfortable to do that, but a lot of that has to do with my giving you that permission. So right. there's okay. a bigger picture going on. Yes, yes, There's a sure. bigger picture. No, and it is, it is frustrating. That, that passage is frustrating in so many ways because we yeah. have seen it abused in church. Yeah. It's frustrating. It's like, why in the world would any man think it's okay to do that? And so I think that's kind of what well, we're coming in on this side and saying, let's look at God's word for who it is and how he talks about being equal man and woman and, and being obedient to him is the goal, right? Not, nothing else. And it's together. It's a partnership together for the good of others. Right. So we can do more together than separate. Yes. It's good. Okay, thank you guys so much for being here today. Um, Have a beautiful day, and remember here at Bethel, we exist to love and lead one another to find and follow Jesus. Love you guys. Have a great one.